Welcome to this podcast of the New York City Bar Association. In this episode, Humane Education for Animal Protection, Social Justice, and Environmental Preservation. Joan Levinson, a member of the City Bar's Animal Law Committee, speaks with Mina Alagapin, Executive Director of HEART, Humane Education Advocates Reaching Teachers. Opinions expressed are those of the speakers and not necessarily of the City Bar. Here's Joan Levinson. Welcome to this podcast presented by the Animal Law Committee of the New York City Bar Association. My name is Joan Levinson. I've been a member of the Animal Law Committee for many years. I'm very proud of the work that the committee does. We are truly delighted to bring to you today an interview with Mina Alagapin. She's the Executive Director of HEART, Humane Education Advocates Reaching Teachers. HEART's mission is to develop a generation of compassionate youth who create positive change for animals, people, and the natural world. Mina recently addressed the Animal Law Committee, and we immediately thought that the extraordinary work Hart is doing needs to be shouted from the rooftops. We thought that a podcast would be a good start, and we were so glad that Mina graciously agreed to be interviewed. Let me begin by giving you just a little bit of background about Mina Alagapin. To say that Mina has an impressive bio would really be an understatement. Briefly, Mina is the executive director of HEART, a nonprofit public charity that is a full-service humane education provider in New York City, Chicago, and Indianapolis. Before she took on this role, Mina was a humane education consultant for Animal Welfare Trust, a private operating foundation. She was also a senior faculty member of Advantage Testing, an academic test preparation company, and an associate at the Manhattan law firm Shea and Gould. Mina is a former chair of the Animal Law Committee of the American Bar Association and of our Animal Law Committee. She's a fellow of the American Bar Foundation and serves on the board of directors of the Mayor's Alliance for New York City's Animals. Mina received a BA from Cornell University, a JD from Northwestern University School of Law, and an MS in Animals and Public Policy from Tufts University School of Veterinary Medicine. Wow. Good afternoon, Mina. Let me begin by asking, how did you come to be the executive director of HEART? And what was it like being an associate at a large firm uh, to coming to this position? And where did you stop along the way? Well, first, let me say thank you for having me. I really appreciate this opportunity. Interestingly, it all really started for me with the Animal Law Committee of the New York City Bar. I had attended a conference that the committee had put on on the legal status of non-human animals, the evolving legal status. And I was just fascinated and impressed by the committee members doing all this pro bono work. And I joined the committee immediately and got involved with moderating the public programs they put on on humane education and dissection the classroom, and got really interested in the subject matter from a legal and policy perspective. It was through colleagues on the committee that I actually met Brad Goldberg, who is the president of Animal Welfare Trust. And he was interested in piloting a humane education program in New York City. So I consulted with this foundation. And once that program was developed, we needed a nonprofit to implement it. And at the time, Hart was dormant, but its board was really eager to have the organization continue. 
So back in, well, 2005 now, the board and staff was reorganized, and that's when I became its executive director. And in terms of the differences with law firm life and this, I mean, there's so many stark differences. I mean, the, the law firm world is so different from the nonprofit world I've inhabited for the past 16 years. There are pluses and minuses with both. Do I miss the the salary and all the support staff that law firms offer? Sure. But I I really feel at home with heart and and I'm just really gratified by the mission-driven work of the nonprofit world. As you mentioned earlier, you know, I, I did make a couple of stops along the way. While I was actually at the law firm, I, w- I started tutoring on the weekends for advantage testing. I have a pretty untraditional path. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I, I just discovered how much I love teaching. I, I just got so much satisfaction from seeing my students' scores improve dramatically, have them gain a lot of confidence and feel empowered. And and I didn't feel tired at the end of a 12-hour day. So it just was a clear sign to me that I needed education to be a big part of my career. And I joined Advantage Testing full-time and happily did that for about nine years. And then the Animal Law Committee kind of turned my life upside down in a good way. And, in a good yeah. way, right. And that's when I joined, I joined the graduate program at Tufts and when I graduated, I chaired the Animal Law Committee. So let's talk a little bit more about um, HART and what is humane education and why do you think it's so crucial to a child's development? Humane education, just very broadly, it, it teaches kindness, develops empathy, and cultivates compassion toward people, animals, and the natural world. It encompasses comprehensive humane education, encompasses animal protection social justice and environmental preservation and explores their interconnections. It really promotes critical thinking and problem solving skills and provides students with the knowledge and tools to make more informed and socially responsible decisions. Humane education helps motivate youth to to want to make a positive difference for other people, animals, and the planet. So it's it's really important, especially in today's world where we have so many pressing global challenges and we need our youth to become part of the solution to those challenges. In terms of you know why it's so crucial, I mean, by cultivating empathy for animals, humane education can help break the cycles of abuse um, and reduce violence. I mean, we all know that there's a link between animal abuse and interpersonal violence. I mean, case studies of troubled youth and retrospective studies of violent criminals have repeatedly shown a connection between childhood animal abuse and later interpersonal violence. And even the American uh, Psychiatric Association looks at animal abuse in diagnosing youth conduct disorders. So cultivating empathy for animals you know, at a young age is really important for a child's development. But also, humane education has a measurable impact, and research has shown this, on increasing pro-social behaviors in students. You know, And those are behaviors which are really intended to benefit others or society as a whole, such as by helping and volunteering and sharing. So all of this is, is really critical. So let's talk about the training that you offer. I know that you've trained hundreds of teachers around the country to deliver humane education programs. 
Uh, maybe you can talk a little more about the sort of training you provide that allows children to sort of develop the ability to think for themselves and be critical thinkers. So talk about the sort of training. Uh, do teachers, what about how you, you get to the schools? Uh, do teachers reach out to you? Do schools reach out to you? Do you reach out to them to get your program into the schools where it's so badly needed? Sure. Um, you know, we've now trained actually thousands of teachers through professional development courses, workshops, programs, and webinars. You know, our teacher trainings are designed to provide educators with the knowledge and strategies needed to integrate humane education into their daily lessons in school community. We also provide them with humane education lessons that are aligned to learning standards and integrate with popular learning frameworks such as social and emotional learning. We call that SEL. And just very briefly, SEL refers to the skills that that help students in managing and expressing emotions, establishing supportive relationships, and, and making responsible and caring decisions. What we try to do through our trainings is help teachers heighten students' awareness of their ability to help others and to translate that ability into direct action and to frame humane education topics as difficult as some of them may be in a manner that provides students with alternatives and the opportunity to take action. And, you know, since we want humane education really to be part of the experience of youth in all settings, not just in school, but also out of school, you know, we train not only school teachers, but also youth leaders and parents and concerned citizens who want to provide humane education in non-traditional learning environments. In terms of the type of training, I mean, an example of the course we offer, we're an educational partner with the New York City Department of Education. And for the past decade, we've been offering a 36-hour professional development course that qualifies teachers toward a salary differential. And it's called Fostering Empathy and Literacy Through Humane Education. And it has a rigor of a graduate level course. We get a diverse group of teachers enrolling with workshops. I mean, we've developed a lot of uh, resources for teachers, educational resources. And so we conduct workshops to guide them on how to implement it. You know, we have a library of free webinars archived on our website that are available for free on a range of topics. Also, a couple of years ago, we launched something called the Heart Network which is a free network of support for animal protection organizations, shelters, rescues, and sanctuaries to help them deliver high-quality humane education programs. And so on a regular basis, we also share a range of resources with them, such as activities and book suggestions and blogs, etc. In terms of how we reach teachers, it's really a mixture. I would say that for our courses like uh, professional development courses. And that's really been more through partnerships like with the DOE and, and with schools and active outreach. With trainings we've done with community partners and consultations with teachers, those there were often like contacted by them and were often guided by their requests in terms of what we offer. Could you give us some examples of specific lesson plans or programs that you thought were particularly effective? Our signature program is something called the Compassionate Communities Awards Program, and and that's been probably our most successful program to date. We piloted it a few years ago in partnership with the mayor's office and New York City Department of Ed, and it's really a, a 
district-wide program designed to inspire respect, empathy, and social action among elementary school children. It's about helping schools incorporate humane education programs into their in-school program, their you know in-classroom programs or after-school programs, school-wide initiatives, like really infusing humane education into the culture of the school. And um, it's a competition with a cash prize, so it always catches the attention of the schools. And I should say that we work um, primarily in under-resourced regions. And the cash prizes have been very significant, up to $10,000 for the winning schools. So that's been a really successful program. And because it's been district-wide, you know, we've reached a lot of students that way. Since we launched it in 2017, we've reached about 30,000 students from almost 50 schools in two Brooklyn districts. We did that in partnership with uh, Borough President Eric Adams and also one Bronx district and four Nassau County districts. And we've had an independent panel of judges evaluate this multimedia presentation that the students, you know, come and present. And so it's been, that's been a really exciting program for us. So what kind of presentations do they do? They do? They, do they show you what they've done over the year and sort of demonstrate what they've learned? Is that how it works? Exactly. They'll share with us all the activities and the, you know, the um, service projects that they conducted. And it's been such a wide range. I mean, um, it's involved, some projects involve marine wildlife protection and habitat restoration efforts. Others involved uh, just one involved a district-wide recycling program they developed. Another was promotion of healthier eating through school gardens. I mean, it's been such a broad range. So they pick a project. Absolutely, and yeah. It's, that, and then it culminates in them doing a presentation? Correct. So basically it's student-led and then um, entirely student-led, yeah. And this is what age children, did you say elementary school? It's elementary school. We've really focused on elementary school in New York because there is a humane education law that requires that, you know, humane education be taught in every publicly funded elementary school in the state. And, you know, interestingly, very few administrators and educators are aware of this mandate. And so we wanted to help promote compliance in a positive way. And that law has been on the books for quite a while. Is that correct? Yeah, since 1947. Oh, wow. Yes, I say so. And, and it's, I wonder how many educators are, are, are aware of it. It's very interesting. More, yeah, more aware now because the New York State Department of Ed has also made an effort, but it's still, yeah, there's still a, a great need to heighten awareness. Uh, you, you mentioned um, a little bit about some of the resources you offer on your website. Maybe you could discuss more the resources that you offer and how one can find them. Sure, I'd be happy to. We've developed about 200 lessons. Um, they're available on our website through our free online library, and um, it can be accessed at teachheart.org forward slash library, and teachheart has two H's in the middle. We've published uh, five humane education resource manuals with age-appropriate lesson plans for pre-K to 12th grade, covering a wide range of topics from oppressive child labor and endangered species to plastic pollution and deforestation. I mean, it's a, it's a broad range. The lessons are all aligned to learning standards and enable teachers to incorporate humane education uh, into their curricula. For example, in a lesson on um, homeless animals and the importance of spaying and neutering, we have an arithmetic worksheet where kids then discover that 
just one unspayed dog and her mate over a period of a couple of years can result in 600 puppies. These are the types of lessons. During the pandemic, we were busy developing a lot of home learning resources. So we have a calendar of uh, home learning activities. We've developed an educational game, a digital educational game called Case of the Sick Puppy, where our compassion investigators in training, Cora, Kazu, and their dog, Casey, uh, uncover the realities behind a puppy mill. And that's been kind of a new project for us. We've also published on digital platforms that are used in thousands of schools called Nearpod and Seesaw, and those are on our website. We have videos that we created to accompany lessons on topics such as shelters and puppy mills and animal rescue and wildlife rehabilitation. We also have project-based tutorials on things like making uh, cruelty-free cleaners, uh, forts for shelter cats, eco-journals, just a range. We also have a growing humane literature book list. And that's really important because the power of story is, is so fundamental in cultivating empathy. So we try to assist teachers by offering recommendations with books that they can utilize. We have a climate literacy toolkit we developed, too, with Earth Charter Indiana, curated a list of high-quality, user-friendly lessons, videos, and more to help teach about climate change. And finally, we have information on how to access a toolkit we developed with Peace Learning Center called Everyday Circles. And it's just a really easy way for teachers to incorporate um, social and emotional learning and humane education to their daily activities. It consists of a deck of 180 five by seven cards that can be implemented in like less than 20 minutes. And the activities promote restorative justice, anti-bias education, really delve into important real world issues facing people, animals, and the environment. So we have a lot of stuff in our library. Wow, that, that, is, that is a lot. With respect to like the digital educational game and the five by seven cards, those are again focused on kids that are around the age of nine, 10, 11. Is that correct? Yeah. I mean, the, the, digi- the digital game, I would say, yeah, could be used you know, in elementary schools for kids, third grade, up to, it depends on the student, you know, it it could be middle school as well. The everyday circle cards could be used for kids from second to seventh grade very effectively. I know that you've worked in partnership with other organizations. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about some of the projects you've undertaken in partnership. Also, you know, with whom would you like to partner in the future? I'm really glad you asked that question because some of our most significant work has been done because we partnered with other organizations. There's so many, I'll just just pick a few. We did partner recently with the Urban Resource Institute in New York City, which is the largest provider of domestic violence shelter services in the country. And they have over 170 units across over a half a dozen shelters that accept survivors with their pets. Yes. yeah. So it's great. And we train their staff um, at one of their shelters called Pal's Place. It's people and animals living safely to implement a humane education program using our everyday circle cards, actually. And this is really important. It provides children, you know, with the opportunity to strengthen their role as caregivers at a really traumatic time. So we were really honored to part with, partner with them. And they're interested in bringing it to more of their shelters. We also partnered with the American Bar Association on a public service project in over a dozen cities across the country, training volunteer attorneys and law students to implement a program on animal protection and environmental ethics. 
um, and we co-authored a manual with them. We also partner with Detroit Public Television to do a multimedia campaign consisting of 14 PSAs about a range of humane education topics. And those spots reached over 2.7 million North American viewers, really young viewers. And one, one last thing I'll mention is a recent project we did with Farm Sanctuary, which is the country's first farm animal sanctuary and advocacy organization. We created a um, new resource guide with them for K-3 to teachers to help students understand the feelings, needs, and behaviors of farm animals. We were really pleased that a New York City DOE literacy leader actually described in a review, described this manual as a timely resource that will find an important place in the early grades curriculum, which was really exciting for us. That is wonderful. And that's Farm Sanctuary, the one in Watkins Glen? Exactly. Yes. That's a wonderful, wonderful sanctuary. In terms of who we'd like to partner with, that's a tough question, Joan. I mean, there are so many great organizations out there. What I would like is for Heart to partner really with a BIPOC-led organization devoted to promoting racial equity in schools. I mean, I think integrating racial justice issues more deeply into the field of humane education is, is certainly a priority for us. And, you know, I, I've been, the, the work of Dr. Dina Simmons has really captured my attention recently. She started this group called Liberated. What they're doing now, I believe, is they're conducting a listening tour to collect stories and ideas about healing, social, emotional learning, and racial justice. And based on what they learn, they'll create resources and trainings. And it would just be great to collaborate in some way with, with an organization like that. Yeah, that would be a wonderful uh, collaboration, I would think. How has the pandemic affected Heart? I know you mentioned that you had created some home learning uh, tools. How else were you impacted? I'm sure fairly significantly. So can you talk about some of the things you did or what you had to change in the way you function in order to manage during the pandemic? In some ways, because we were already operating in a virtual environment before the pandemic with teachers across the country, staff across the country, you know, it really wasn't a transition that way for us to go to remote operations, but it was a busier time than ever. <laughs> I mean, creating the home learning activities, as you mentioned, and also adapting some of our teaching to remote teaching and our trainings to virtual trainings. But probably our most significant programmatic challenge was adapting our Compassionate Communities program to a reduced virtual format. Um, we managed to do it and we created a website too for our Compassionate Communities program to connect like our community of schools to humane education, you know, and, and, and sharing resources and student work and other materials. So, so we, we did do that. It has been a tough climate, though, for public charities. I mean, this pandemic has, has hit the nonprofit world hard, and, and we're no exception. So we face financial challenges, and, and we had to cut back significantly on contractor engagements. But fortunately, we were able to retain our full-time staff. So, Yeah, and I did mean to ask you earlier, you mentioned that you're a public charity. Uh, so how are you funded? So... As a public charity, we're, you know, we are supported through uh, grants from foundations, donations from individuals, uh, government grants, and to a much lesser extent, some corporate funding. 
Um, and you and you said you fortunately didn't have to cut back on staff. Um, how, how many are on staff? I mean, you're doing so much. It would it would seem that you should have hundreds of people working for you to get all of this accomplished. I'm really grateful. We have such a dedicated team and we're a small team uh, of a core group of six. And of course, we have consultants, too. But, you know, uh, it's a core group of six. Well, that is not a lot of people for the extraordinary work that you're doing and the, the, the depth and breadth of the work that you are doing. So what are your hopes for heart for the future? You know, what's your sort of, do you have a five-year plan? My hope generally is that heart is instrumental in, in heightening awareness of the critical need for human education and that we can help it take root in schools across the country. Ideally, it would be wonderful to have New York City serve as a model for the rest of the country. And I'd love in five years to see our Compassionate Communities program uh, rolled out to other cities and reach thousands more students. Ironically, kind of looking way ahead down the road, I think my hopes for heart are quite different from, you know, from my hope for humane education. Mm -hmm. I actually hope that heart services are no longer needed. Um, You know, that humane education just becomes... Education. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Nice to put yourself out of business. I I, 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 I understand that. (laughs) You know, can you just, I just want you to repeat in case anyone missed it, um, where the materials are on the website, teachheart.org. Forward slash library. Yeah. T-E-A-C-H-H-E-A-R-T.org forward slash library. Please do visit us. It's a free library. You can access anything you want. I really want to encourage all of our listeners to go on the Heart website because there are just so many resources there and it's so much fun. And if you have children, if you know children, if you have grandchildren, you know, and and there's something for everyone on there. And uh, the work that you're doing is just outstanding. Uh, Is there anything else you want to tell us, Mina, before we conclude this podcast? I just really appreciate this opportunity, Joan. Thank you for having me. It's it's just wonderful to be able to share more with more people, um, you know, the the value of humane education and, and, you know, just to be able to disseminate our resources more. Well, thank you. And thank you for the work that you do and for taking the time to uh, speak with us today. We really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to this New York City Bar Association podcast. Opinions expressed are those of the speakers and not necessarily of the City Bar. Find more City Bar podcasts and program audio on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or Stitcher, or on our website at nycbar.org podcasts. This podcast was produced by Eric Friedman and Alex Cardaris.